0: Excuse me, waiter, waiter, can I get a menu, please? Waiter, I've been sitting here for 22, no, 23 minutes. Could I get some service here, please? Glass of water, just a glass, no water? Waiter, hello? The Invisible Man Really pretty hungry. Will not be presented at this time. Starving, actually. So we may bring you this special podcast.
1: It's almost live. Still alive. It's alive! A limited podcast series about Northwest Television's legendary TV sketch comedy show. An amazing phenomenon. Featuring intimate conversations with the writers, performers, creators.
2: Rustlers, cutthroats, murderers,
0: bounty hunters, desperados, bushwhackers, hornswagglers, horse thieves,
3: bull dykes,
0: train robbers, bank robbers, ass kickers, shit kickers, and mercenaries. Your host was one of them. I think I would remember a thing like that. Pat Cashman. What's the matter with you?
3: Almost live. It's a real nice surprise. Still alive. Just a real
0: nice surprise. Stanford University is one of the most prestigious colleges in the nation. Some of its alumni include a guy named Larry Page, who's the founding CEO of Google. Yeah, it's true. You can look it up on Bing, if you don't believe me. Other famous graduates are Sigourney Weaver, Reese Witherspoon, Tiger Woods, Rachel Maddow, John Steinbeck, Ken Kesey, Senator Henry Jackson, and the people who founded PayPal and Netflix. But of all of Stanford's distinguished elite, only one of them has climbed the lofty ladder to achieve a place of immortality on Almost Live. His name? Ed Wyatt. He grew up in Portland, Oregon, and he got his Stanford degree in English, which is his first language. He taught that subject at Bellarmine Prep a Jesuit school in Tacoma, while also doing a bit of coaching in football and basketball for the Bellarmine Lions. Now, as you'll hear along the way, Ed started nosing around a fledgling local TV show called Almost Live. Perhaps that topic will arise in the forthcoming interview. Well, after his time at Almost Live, for a while, Ed was the host of a Portland TV magazine show, and then he moved to L.A., helping to start a new sports network. Fox Sports World, which brought him to eventually living in Australia. He's been there for 20 years since, enjoying the down under culture, the food, the people, the music! Aussie style, like ACDC. In excess. Men at work. And yeah, the Bee Gees. Olivia Newton-John we
3: have to believe we are magic
0: And this guy, named Rolf Harris, who had this hit in
3: 1963
0: Tiny Okay, maybe not Rolf Harris down. so much Especially since he got into, well, big career-ending trouble a few years ago You can look it up for yourself on Google, or Bing, or Australian Crime News But back to Ed Wyatt, who is one of the finest people you'd ever meet. Today, he does Australian sports reporting on basketball, soccer, baseball, and more. He's one of the big deals down under on TV and radio, streaming, print. I don't know what's left. He's married to a native Australian named Michelle, and they have a son named Sam. Seems like Ed lost his Pacific Northwest accent a long time ago, if there is one. So see if you can pick up on his Aussie brogue as we catch up with him from his home in the coastal city of Melbourne.
3: Let you know.
0: Ed Wyatt, if people somehow missed my brilliant introduction of you and don't know where you're living right now, um, let's have you give everybody an opening
2: salutation and that should make it clear. Do you want me to say it in my normal voice, Pat, or do you want me to say, G'day, Mike? How's I that? I think
0: that uh, pretty well gave it away. For twenty years, it's a terrible accent. (laughs) For twenty years, Ed has lived in Australia. And uh, first of all, how did that happen? Twenty years? I mean, gee whiz, that's a long time. Your mom and dad and the people who (laughs) uh, know you, your relatives, your friends—they couldn't have been that happy that you decided I'm gonna. If I can't go to another planet, I'm at least gonna go
2: as far (laughs) away as possible. It's, look, it's funny. First of all, Pat, it's great to uh, hear your voice. Great to uh, be connected again with you and the whole Almost Live crew. Luckily through, you know, uh, social media and and things like that, we're able to stay in touch. But um, yeah, I've been over here, came over initially for uh, a year and a half or two years. My wife is Australian. Her parents were older than my parents, and she wanted to spend a little bit of time with them. And I thought, you know why not? It would be—it's it, a great place. Did, great did you country. meet your wife there
0: in Australia, or you met her?
2: No, uh, we met in LA. Okay. We met in Los okay. Angeles, which I'm sure we'll backtrack through some of this. But I was working at—we were working together at Fox Sports World, right. which was a, right. the first international network uh, in the U.S. dedicated to bringing American or uh, international sports to American audience. And then we moved back here in late nineteen ninety nine and literally the plan was for a couple of years and then go back to the States. And I was pretty happy here and, and was was willing uh to go but to stay here for a little while longer and then go back to the States and sort of make a comparison, whether I like it here or there better. And then my mom's wife got very sick, unfortunately, and uh, ended up passing away, but we were basically looking after her and helping, helping with that. It would have been an incredibly selfish move for me to say, yep, I want to go back, back to the States now. So, and then it's just sort of been here ever since, Pat, I've got an 11 year old son. Oh my and gosh. I'm a, I'm a, Dual citizen here of of the U.S. and Australia, so uh, he's a dual citizen. So I don't know if you've been. Yeah, things are pretty. I don't know if you've
0: been keeping in touch with the news, Ed, but uh, I think uh, this would not be a good time to move back. Why don't you just stay <laughs> and I'll give you the I'll give it's, you the thumbs up when it's mm, safe to come back. Okay.
2: It's uh, I tell you what I have without well, we're not going to delve too too deeply into this, but I have been watching some of the live streams from Portland, which is where I've spent a lot of my time, right. and it's crazy crazy time and uh, let's just hope uh we get through this and the lessons are learned and you know things can uh, be on. i think
0: people probably uh are most noticed australia in the last uh, six seven months eight months from the wildfires you had there
3: tonight these apocalyptic
2: scenes happening across australia massive wildfires creating a stunning red sky
0: uh is that all over with now is that is that in the rearview mirror, or is it still a problem?
2: It is. We've moved from. They call them bushfires over here, by the way, Pat. A bush. The bush is the country. So if you go mm-hmm. out in the bush, you're going out in the country. Um, but they are wildfires. Um, they are past. The communities that they were that were hit by them obviously are still trying to recover economically. And and you know, as soon as they got through that and were open for business, the whole COVID nineteen right. thing hit. So it's become a real double whammy for a lot of those communities uh which is really uh devastating but on the flip side australia did a pretty good job like new zealand of keeping this virus at bay for the moment so we're just starting to see uh things open up a little bit in fact my son has been zooming uh school for the last probably six Hmm. weeks and he goes back uh tomorrow for the first time to his actual classroom i think
0: most people know that Australia has winter when the United States has summer and vice versa. So um is yes. is your son's school year would it otherwise be underway right now or
2: Yeah, that that's a really good question. They've sort of got all all year round school um so he starts in uh late January for they, they uh. do four terms so it starts in late January which is still sort of summer and then they have little two week breaks in between Um, So he finishes in December. So the holiday, uh, early December, so the the school holiday, the big one, is most of December and all of January.
0: But not the summer vacation we enjoy in the U.S.
2: It's not as big, no, but they've got like two weeks uh, in in April, I think, and then three weeks in in july which is when we've come back to the states a couple of times he's had that Mm -hmm. three week break so we've jumped back to to see my folks um and my sisters in in uh, june or july how
0: are your folks by
2: the way yeah they're good. I mean they're in Camus, Washington, which is a small yes. town outside Seattle, home of the four a state champion Camus papermakers football team. I
0: thought it was uh, camus washington Camas. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah yeah exactly okay. The stranger, yeah, one of my favorite <laughs> books by the way um yeah, they're let, great. let me, yeah oh
0: good. I'm so glad that they're still with us i mean you're yeah you're you're not a youngster but. To have your parents still around is really cool. It's well, really they had
2: cool. me when they were very, very young, uh, unlike me, where we had our son when, when I was very old. So it's a completely <laughs> f- complete flip-flop. But my folks are 80. They're both in really good health. Oh, so um, glad to hear yeah, that. Yeah, they spend a bit of time up at Ocean Shores. My dad coached football in Aberdeen last year.
3: so
0: Love that place.
2: Aberdeen.
3: Aberdeen.
0: So your dad still coaches a bit.
2: Yeah, he's still he's still out on the football field, you know, trying to coach uh, coach kids, which he loves to do. Aberdeen, my Aberdeen. Let's
0: talk to you about when you got, uh, well, first of all, I want to know where you grew up, a little bit of your biography, where you went yep. to school, grammar school, high school, etc. So yep. just start from the beginning of Ed Wyatt.
2: I can I can do that very quickly or I can drag it out for no. Uh, drag I'll, it out I'll drag, drag it out, out drag line, drag now, I was uh, so my folks are all from the East Coast originally my grandparents were uh, in Philadelphia and Atlantic City New Jersey uh, my parents, I, thought
0: I, I thought I detected a New Jersey accent right there.
2: <laughs> well That's when right. I moved to the west to the Pacific Northwest I was absolutely uh, kids did make fun of my accent How old were you when you moved? Fifteen. So I lived, um, we lived in various places in Maryland uh, as a kid, Baltimore, and then a small town called Frederick. And then it's it's now a bedroom community of D.C., but at the time it was more of a a rural area. And then Hagerstown, Hmm. which is slightly bigger um, in Western Maryland, and
0: where well, they make slacks and blue jeans.
2: Uh, they they do make blue jeans there. I don't know uh, if they do. They do make Mack trucks there, Pat. By the way, oh really? Big Mac was the driver of a semi rig from Denver to the coast of Maine. But why why did you guys move around so much? Okay, well, uh, we moved around because my dad was dad was a salesman for uh, National Brewing Company, which is a big beer back in Baltimore, and he got the bug to play uh, football. He played football at Yale. He um, did? Yeah, he did. What, for what, a
0: couple, what, what years would that have been?
2: 58. <clears throat> seven, played the first who, couple of years. Then I think he got hurt and ended up playing rugby. Played against Tommy Lee Jones, if you can believe oh, that or not. He really? He played at Harvard. Yeah.
0: It did. Uh, I, I heard once that uh, Tommy Lee Jones and uh, Al Gore were roommates for a period of time.
2: Possibly, awesome yeah, I know. I just I know, know. Dad, dad has said that Tommy Lee Jones is a pretty good football player. Um, really? Yeah, he was. He looked, he, was like very...
0: he, he looked like he got hit pretty hard a
2: couple of <laughs> times. He does, doesn't he? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, every time Men in Black comes on and Sam's watching that, I go, hey, coach played against that guy. And 1,500 years ago, everybody knew
1: the Earth was the center of the universe. 500 years ago, everybody knew the Earth was flat. And 15 minutes ago, you knew that people were alone on this planet. Imagine what you'll know
2: tomorrow. Oh, that's College. so great. Is that Man. what you call is that what he
0: calls grandpa, coach?
2: He they my sisters came up with that name because there were so many other grandparents there that they just oh, thought they'd distinguish great. it by calling him coach, which has worked out pretty well.
0: well. Who are the best Yale players ever?
2: Uh there was a guy named Calvin Hill who played for the Cowboys. Oh yeah, the, yeah. Glory sure. days. Yeah. I he remember was, him. He's probably the best.
0: There was a running uh, back named Ed something or other. Did he play for there or Harvard? That, I can't remember.
2: Uh, was that Ed there was Ed Marinaro, who was... That's think, who I'm thinking of, Cornell, yeah. I think he was. Oh, okay. I okay. think.
0: And, of so. course, there was the great... Uh... A uh, middle linebacker, a uh, Bill Nye that uh, went. Yes, to Cornell also as Cornell. Well. Yeah. yeah. B- B- what a player like he a, was.
2: <laughs> built like a middle linebacker, wasn't yeah, it, Bill he? Yeah. Bill sure
3: Nye? was. Bill Nye, the Science Guy. Um, uh, Actually, you
2: know, Bill was built. Bill was built like the chain, you know, on the side where you mark a first down. That's Bill. That was Bill's. <laughs> <laughs> Bill's build. All so um, right. so right. So, yeah, so, dad, you, so
0: now you finally moved to the Northwest, and then what happens?
2: Well, Dad, just just briefly, my dad ended up getting. He went back and started playing semi-pro football and then ended up coaching, wow. which is why we moved to Hagerstown. He became the head coach of a team called the Hagerstown Bears. Around 1974, the uh, World Football League came around. So this oh, is sure. previous to the XFL, previous to the USFL, all those leagues – this, and there was a team called the Philadelphia Bell. A
0: reference to the Liberty Bell. Liberty Bell is a symbol of, of freedom and equality for many generations or many people throughout history. Better, I guess, than the Philadelphia Cracks.
2: Dad had known through his years of coaching semi-pro football, he had a stack of info on all these players. So he basically went up there and sold himself as, look, I know all these guys. I can help you build a team. So they gave him the job of player personnel director. Um, so he moved up to Philadelphia. Essentially, I the family stayed in uh, Hagerstown. Actually, it's a small town called Halfway, Pat, which I always loved. Halfway, Maryland. Um, and I went. <laughs> That's got to gotta
0: make everybody in that town feel good.
2: It's halfway between Hagerstown and Williamsport, which is a small town. I went to Williamsport High School for one year, ninth grade. Um, great, great school. I really enjoyed it. But after that, after that first year of the World Football League. Dad got a couple of offers, and this is where there's life sort of sliding doors things. One of his offers was (laughs) to go to Montreal with Marv Levy, who went on to coach the Buffalo Bills to four Super Bowls.
0: Right. Yes, he did. And they lost every one of them. They
2: lost every one of them, correct. And then the other option was to go to Portland with his team called the Portland Thunder. Um, And so dad uh, was worried about taking three or four kids to French-speaking Canada. I don't know why, but he he was. Um, And we had been to Portland. So dad had been out and I had, luckily, they took me on a road trip as a sort of a bonus. I went to Portland when I was in ninth grade. And it was one of those Portland days, Pat, similar to Seattle days, where it's not a cloud in the sky. It's about 70 degrees. I'm mm-hmm. walking downtown. They've got water fountains bubbling water out of the corner. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like going, this is not, you know. this is." You fell this, in the, love. Yeah. <laughs> this is not Philadelphia. You know, this is not <laughs> Washington, D.C. This is unbelievable.
1: Portland, Oregon is located in the northwestern United States, where the Willamette and Columbia Rivers meet.
0: Love the Willamette.
1: Portland's mountainous backdrop, combined with the city's many urban parks and eco-friendly ambitions, make it a nature lover's paradise
2: so i think a little bit of those combinations with my dad as well and so that's when we moved out and we moved to vancouver washington sort of a bedroom community across the river for a lot of reasons right. i think taxes yeah. and things like that um and the first week we got for the first three weeks we were there pat it rained every day
0: of course yeah. of course every day so that was got- a
2: welcome to the northwest
0: you got a real dose of reality yeah so you're living uh um so you're living in vancouver yep and did you go to high school there, all the way through high school Fort there? Fort
2: Vancouver High School was so I did three year I did one year as a freshman at Williamsport and then came in as a sophomore, you know. See, I did school. three
0: years as a freshman, so
2: yeah. <laughs> um so I was actually really lucky because everyone was starting afresh. My sister, on the other hand, was kind of the big cheese at her old school and then came in as, you know, with the cliques already established or junior high. So she had a real hard time. I had a really lucky, fortunate situation. And my homeroom teacher was also my English teacher, and he was a lit professor from Michigan who would end up leaving Michigan for whatever reason, the University of Michigan, and taught high school. And that just was sort of one of the great perfect storms because Mm -hmm. I love to write and read, and he really enhanced that. And and really that's kind of when I got into sort of the written word and and that sort of thing.
0: You are – you're probably, uh, I think – inarguably one of the brightest uh, people that ever came through the almost live doorway, uh, <laughs> And you, uh, you were so, uh, such a good student that you attended Stanford. Is that right?
2: I was, I was a very, I was a really good student. I only got one B in high school it was a B plus in physics. And I'm not bitter about that at all. Oh my um, God. 50 one years B. later, I still remember. It. I, I yeah, think B+ I got
0: plus. one B too, but that,
2: but that was it. That was my highest.
0: achievement. <laughs> Jesus. So you go to Stanford, are you yes. there on a
2: scholarship? I was on a scholarship. I, there's no way my parents could have afforded it, and uh, oh, but so I had good, good grades, um, and I interviewed pretty well, and was very fortunate to get in, and I didn't even know, Pat, I'll be honest with you, I was kind of clueless, like two or three kids from my school applied, we had a pretty good class of kids, and I remember going, hey, did you get in? <laughs> kind of like I was, like, you know, like everyone got in, and they're like, uh, no, I didn't, I'm going, oh, oh. I did. It was a really weird dynamic, but it was great. Um, I didn't take advantage of it. Like many things, Pat, you look back and go, I should have done this. I should have done that. I should have gotten more involved in this. But just to be exposed to the level of um, intellectual uh, stimulation and and train of thought and things like that, I think really was uh, really good.
0: What was your, uh, major? What, what, what was, what turned you on there at Stanford?
2: Uh, it's another funny story. I started out as a history major. Cause I really enjoyed that. My dad was a history major and I ended up, uh, I wrote a paper on a Russian, like something about Russian history in 1600s, which was an A got a really good grade on it, went to take the final. And there were two options of a, uh, uh, essay to write and one of them was on that topic that i'd written my paper on and in the middle of the exam the teacher said all right you've got two choices except for ed you can't write on that because you've already written it on the paper and i was like (laughs) you've got to be kidding me so i sort of bullshitted my way through the other one and got a c and ended up with a b for the class so i took it to the ombudsman and complained and all that and and didn't get any joy so i on the spot i switched to an english major (laughs) Oh, that's, a, that's... On the a, spot.
0: Don't know much about history. Don't know much
3: biology. Don't know much about the science book. Don't know much about the French I took. But I do know that I love you. And I know that if you loved me too, what a wonderful world this would be.
0: That is a great story. So then... You, um, so you, I assume you graduated
2: with barely. I did. Yeah. I sneaked through. I don't have the greatest. I've still got my, uh, uh, transcript. I don't have the greatest. No, uh,
0: no, it wasn't things. barely. You did really well. I did. All right.
2: I hung. In and then, and,
0: th- and then you, uh, decided to seek the teaching profession, correct?
2: Well, it's, it, I kind of fell into it, Pat. I'll be honest with you. So my senior year at Stanford, two other, two guys had an idea to write a book and it was called how to college it was a paperback book the preppy handbook was really big at the time so their idea was to self-publish this book um, and they wanted me along. They invested the money to get their parents to invest some money in this project. They just wanted me along as a writer. And I said, sure, I'm happy to do that. So we started writing this book. We sneaked into the computer science department and printed it out illegally with the help of a, a hacker nerd. And um, <laughs> we, It was a great, great experience. And we ended up publishing this book ourselves and really? ended up selling about 10,000 copies, which is what, pretty what is- good. Is it still available anywhere? Do you you know? You can find it, I think, on Amazon. And what's the name of it? It's called How To College. Oh, yeah. That's right. We did a reprint and it was okay. It wasn't nearly as good. But, um, you know, we we literally, the the days where you actually had to cut the letter set out with a razor knife, I mean, we literally laid it out that way. Um, Uh So it was a great lesson. We tried to sort of make that our careers, like let's get another book, let's sell it. And all that was just too difficult. You know, we're you know, 22 year yeah. old kids yeah. trying to push a book and it just didn't kind of take off. So I ended up back as many people do at their folks house. <laughs> I was in uh, Vancouver still, they hadn't yet moved to Camas. And I really wasn't sure what I needed, what I wanted to do and ended up getting a position as a hall director at pacific lutheran so they would pay f- pay for education so i could get my teaching degree and then i would work in the dorm get free you know room and board what is the
0: what what do you do as a hall director
2: you just supervise kids and if it's pacific lutheran university no beer on campus all right right that right. party all i didn't see that can get get your ass off campus that kind of thing <laughs> Um, but it was a great experience, Pat. It really, really was another one of those things where life took a funny turn. I met some really great people. Um, PLU is a, is a really a great community, um, and I really enjoyed it. Got to got to live in Tacoma, uh, Pat. Yeah. How about that? That's that's know, pretty sweet. Yeah, it is sweet. Uh, I that, stud-
0: that is a gateway to Australia.
2: It certainly ladies. is. Uh, yeah. I student taught at Bellum and Prep because um, another story. I just knew that I was a better teacher of good kids i i I wasn't i was not great at disciplining kids and then making them you know i i was better more effective at taking good kids and making them better kids better better students so i and i gotta tell
0: you i can't tell you how many times i have run into people because i i do auctions and speaking Mm. events things like that and i'm always running into people who tell me that you were their teacher (laughs)
2: Yeah, and they, exactly. and they
0: loved you. You no, were still, an amazing no, thank teacher.
2: Yeah, That's I, what they say. I still stay in touch with a lot of them. Yeah. So I, it, I, I student taught there for uh, the end of the, my last year at PLU. And the guy I was student teaching for, I won't mention his name, but he was in the middle of a marriage breakup and was dating a woman who lived in Portland, Oregon. So he would leave school in Tacoma at like three o'clock when school was out, <laughs> drive to Portland, and then drive back in the morning. And the number of times he would oh like go, Can you cover for me? So I'm student teaching. <laughs> and I'm here at like three o'clock, whenever school ended, I think it ended at two. And I'm sitting there teaching a lesson. Can you and you cover for me. Yeah. And, the, and the 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 uh, nun who was the head of the school at that time actually came in one day and said, "Where's Mister Blankety Blank?" And I said, uh, "I think he's down cleaning the javelins." <laughs> he was the cleaning track the coach. javelins. <laughs> he was the track coach.
0: Yeah. So, Nobody wants to throw a dirty javelin. That's for sure.
2: <laughs> so there were things like that where I'm like, and so the essence is. I got more than a student teaching experience because I was actually teaching the class um, as a student (laughs) because he wasn't around. And then at the end of the year, he left. He decided to move to Portland got a job down there, and his job opened up, and I applied for it and got it. So you're a full-time teacher then? Full-time teacher. First year Uh I taught, and it worked out really well. First year I taught basic English for ninth and 10th grade. The next year, the nun who came in and asked me about the javelin, (laughs) she... And next I want to hear about
0: the shot put.
2: Retired. She retired and she taught the honors classes. So I inherited her honors classes. So which taught the honors English, which is smaller class load. Kids really preparing for college uh, can read, you know, much uh, more uh, uh, advanced books and things like that. So that was magnificent, and and a lot of those kids have gone on to have great lives. One of them's an artist. Went to Harvard. She's an amazing artist. Couple of them went to Stanford. A couple of others went to Harvard, Colgate, Yale. It was just a wow. super impressive group of kids.
0: The 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 kids uh, students at Colgate have the most beautiful teeth I've ever seen.
2: <laughs> I set that one up beautifully for you, didn't I? Thank bro? you,
0: thank you. And uh, of course, uh, <laughs> Mr. Obvious, I'll go there. No, but you—that's got to make you feel really good. You really uh, a teach. My brother's a teacher. He yep. was a teacher, and he has influenced so many lives. I have people approach me all the time. That's going to be your legacy is that Mm -hmm. you really changed a lot of lives as a teacher, but somehow (laughs) along the way uh, you hear about this show. that has just started up called almost live. How does a how does a teacher full-time Bellarmine prep in Tacoma, uh, get the nod to come and be part of that show?
2: I had been aware of Almost Live. I have watched it. I I wasn't a faithful, loyal watcher, but I certainly did watch it from time to time. Uh, I had a friend in the summer. So summers I would often just go back to my folks' place rather than stick around Tacoma because, as you know, you're not working as a teacher in the summer unless you're painting houses, which is what (laughs) most teachers did in those days. Yeah, Uh, yeah. so I would go back and just live with my folks because it was cheaper and, you know, it was great to be around them and everything, hang out. And yeah,
0: it's and always better night. to sponge on somebody. than uh, Of it. course it
2: is. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And a friend of mine named Dan Merchant, who uh, Dan's gone oh. on to do a lot of stuff, done a couple of movies. I, I know He's Dan
0: a, well. Yeah,
2: yes. Dan's done the uh, works. There's one of the million zombie shows that are out there. Uh, yeah,
0: he but, actually hired me. Uh, a couple of years ago to be in uh, his show called Z Nation.
2: That's it. Yeah, Z Nation. We interrupt this
0: program for an Action News 9 special report. I'm Jack Kingman. With Action News team coverage, we go live to the crash site now and our own Mike Renfro. Mike?
1: Come on! Run! Mitchell, run!
3: <laughs> Mike!
0: Mike, des- describe the scene for us. Mike, tell us what we're seeing there. Uh, We have lost the feed from
2: Mike. He's a Tacoma kid, went to Curtis High School, and and I met Dan at Pacific Lutheran. Um, He was one of my best friends there with another couple of guys, Scott Ramsey and Jeff Ellis, who are both really just super, super people. And Dan had said, hey, Almost mm-hmm. Live's looking for a writer. And Dan had knew about my book and stuff like that. And he knew I was a writer. We'd written some stuff together at PLU just casually. And uh, I said, oh, what do you mean? And he goes, yeah, they, they, they want to hire some writer. He should send some stuff to him. And I he, I think he gave me Bill Stanton's phone number uh, and the producer, Bill. And I I called Bill and explained who I was. I can't remember if I sent a resume or not. It's so weird. Do you remember
0: what he, year that was at?
2: This would have been 88 or nine.
0: Hmm. And see, That's I'm, I'm, I'm confused. I'm confused on the timeline, but I'm not sure if Bill was producing them. Oh, I
2: think he was. Pa- almost. Producer was positive positive doing it. Now. Okay. It was, okay. no, it was definitely Bill Stanton. Absolutely. Okay. And so, um, not to correct you, Pat, but it absolutely wasn't. No, was no, I, I I,
0: don't know because I I wasn't really involved in those years. I'm so
2: younger I'm, than you, Pat. My memory is probably a little better. Um, <laughs> sorry. That was an ageist comment. It, be, I it better
0: be that. a lot better than mine.
2: Can, can you edit that out? Um yeah. I always love that on podcasts where they go, can you edit that part out? And then they always and leave they it. They never do. <laughs> no, never. Um, so, yeah, so I called Bill and Bill said – Again, I can't remember if I sent him a resume or I explained who I was. Somehow he was like, okay, great. Send me three pages of stuff.
0: Was Dan writing for the show too?
2: I think Dan had sold them a couple of pieces or something.
0: Why would he be telling you about it if he wasn't? Because
2: he was living in Portland. So Dan had a job in Portland at Coin TV, like a full-time job. His wife was from Lake Oswego. So he was set in Portland and he knew I was in Seattle. So oh, okay. he recommended that. He thought I might be interested in that. Um, and I think coincidentally, in, in an odd sort of way, Pat, that was my third, second or third year of teaching at Bellman. I think my third. And I made a conscious decision that I was going to pull back and only teach three classes so I could pursue some other opportunities. So I was mm. still writing. Just stuff on the side. My friend Bill from Stanford was still working on some dodgy book deals that we thought Bill, might happen. Bill Jekyll. Bill Jekyll, yeah. Yes. So mm-hmm. who stayed in Seattle and done very well there. But Bill Bill had was trying to constantly get something going. So I was still – my writing was still there. So it wasn't like I was not writing. So Bill stayed, said, can you send me three pages of jokes and material, which I did. I must have faxed it. I might have mailed it. I can't remember. Carrier pigeon, <laughs> perhaps.
1: Um,
2: he And then he got back to me and said, I really like it. Can you write five more pages of stuff? Really? Which I did. I was at my parents' place in Vancouver, I think, probably typing it. Oh, it would have been a computer at the time. And send him those five. And the next call from him was, how would you like to do that 26 weeks a year? That's you, how it started. I had no idea that I would have to be on tv i hadn't done any acting at all some would say really I still don't do you've never acting.
0: done that huh.
2: no never i was never a drama kid i was never a, you know and, and i look back at some of it now and some of it's okay a lot of it is totally cringeworthy oh. and,
0: no 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 not it's at pretty all pretty poor
2: some if i get the character look pat if, let's be honest if it was a stoned eugene oregon type deadhead character i nailed it it's
0: time for our microsoft studs to describe their dream dates now and then we'd like to see how the ladies like it your dream date <laughs>
3: I'd like to take a virtual reality trip to the center of the universe. <laughs> and after that catch a dead show in Eugene.
2: <laughs> yes. Beyond that beyond that, I don't know.
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, first of all, you were a really good-looking guy, so uh, I <laughs> think you. Bill figured out that chicks are going to dig this guy, so let's keep <laughs> him on the show. Uh, who, who cares if he can act or not? That if he can, that's good, but, that's but we, we, we can't have a bunch of homely people on this show, uh, <laughs> entirely anyway, uh, and you uh, you just brought uh, – you're just a different kind of guy. You have mm. that uh, raspy, different kind of
2: voice. Yes. You look yes. look
0: good. You're just – there i think i i think i don't know even know if bill was conscious of it bill stanton but he really got a diverse number of people not diverse racially unfortunately and we can no. talk about that later but yeah but in terms of how people looked, they were all different kinds of of folks
2: yep no I, I i agree pat i i always said that for years it was the fact that and i was the youngest of the group as well. So I sort of brought that little different sort of sensibility that way in terms of uh, younger stuff. I was really plugged into like MTV and things like that, which I like to try and bring that sort of experimental stuff. But I agree with you 100%. I always said to people, I'm not sure I would hang out and please take this the right way. I don't think I would necessarily hang out all the time with any of these people. um, If I didn't have almost live, but together and when we were together unbelievable chemistry the love for each other and the respect yeah. I think was just sensational
0: yeah it really was and you uh you weren't there a super uh, amount of time but um yeah you, you were an indelible part of it and that's why well uh, we
2: were there watch. I guess the thing I would say is I was there at that lucky part of the time when when you know that the show was really the rating its ass off when the grunge thing was happening when right you know all that seattle focus was there and i was i was there for for that aspect of it which i loved you know to be part of that i was, I was just looking at back i've saved all my concert tickets over the years and i've gone back through them and it's like <laughs> 1992 i've got like a, it's like five you know three inches thick how many tickets and how many shows I went to in 1992. It's really well, amazing. What
0: are some of the shows you remember going to? Well, through? I was
2: really... I remember Dan Merchant and I went and saw uh, um, uh, Sonic Youth. The Nirvana opened yeah. for them.
1: Now, the mystery
3: guest, Nirvana! <laughs>
2: So that was one of them. But lots of Britpop stuff, Pat. There was tons of, like, Blur and Oasis and... Oh, um, my God. ride and all those bands from the uk that i loved. i was you know i look at it There's like shows where i went three times in a week i'm like how did i do that how did i go to a show at rock candy three times in a week and still hold down a job
0: <laughs> now when, when you went to almost live were you full time at
2: almost live or that's nah, you, that, that's a teaching? great question oh uh, well <laughs> thank you i'm very proud of it no no it's it so three i was teaching three classes at bellman so i moved to mercer island with a friend of mine Steve, who had a one of those granny flats, you know, those illegal places above a mansion. Um, and it, it had a stove and a refrigerator and a, and, a, and a couple of beds. And apparently it wasn't meant to be there, but the neighbor had built his house uh, a foot over... <laughs> the line and so they did some deal where i won't say anything about your house being over my line if you don't say anything about this granny flat it's one of those <laughs> great mercer island stories So <laughs>
3: what you cooking granny done cooked and cooled that's my spring tonic
2: so i lived there um just out of convenience it had nothing to do with the basketball team or or that was pre uh Bill Gates and Paul Allen and all that, but it was a great place because it was easy to get to the freeway and easy to get into this. You get the diamond lane coming in and stuff like that. But, and it was cheap because I was living with my friend, but I was commuting to Tacoma from Mercer Island and then back up. So there were days when I'd go into almost live at like nine for a couple of hours or maybe an hour, maybe it was earlier. might've been like eight, do some writing, then drive to Tacoma, then come back, do some filming in the afternoon or something like that. So it was really, uh, it was frenetic. It was strange. Um, And I'll I'll never forget being in a van on one of the first shoots. And John Keister said something like, all right, if we can't get this shot today, we'll get it tomorrow. And I said, oh, I actually can't get it tomorrow. I've got to go to work or something like that. And he went, what do you mean go to work? And I said, oh, I work at Bellman Prep. I teach three classes. And he just about fell out of the van. Like he went, hey, like you're a teacher. How how are you going to work? How is this going to work? Like he was really just baffled yeah. by how it worked. Well, out. I don't and think I, I don't think
0: anybody knew what your other real life was. No, I never well, knew.
2: And yeah. I think that's you know I will say again, very cautiously. Bill Stanton does ninety nine percent of the things unbelievably well, better than most people in the world. There's that one percent where he sometimes doesn't. Kind of communicate the full story, <laughs> and I was pretty angry at Bill for that first year for not explaining it to anyone. Like you know, kind of here's Ed, he's going to join us. He's a good writer. He doesn't act that much. He's part time teacher. He's going to give us what he can give. Blah blah blah. <laughs> Instead, it's got kind of like people going, "What? What are you, you know?"
3: Yeah. Um,
2: and as you know, Pat, as someone who's probably held down a bunch of different jobs. You think this will be great, the almost live people will be happy, and the Bellman people will be happy instead it 's the opposite. they both want you more, and they 're angry at you because you have to leave and can 't give them one hundred percent so it was a very, very hard year. I had one of those radar detectors you know that whistle and that you go by the police and yeah. you know you <laughs> probably got three tickets, and I distinctly remember a policeman. Looking at that radar, so I hadn't taken it off the dash. He looked at his, and that thing's illegal, and I don't want to see it in this car anymore. Yeah. So. I
0: always wondered about that. How could people put a Fuzzbuster on their dash?
2: I know. Think, oh, oh, I don't know. What, what, why do you
0: have that, sir?
2: An, I just remember that, and I remember another time I saw a friend of mine. Driving to Tacoma, and I was waving at him, just kind of like, "Hey, how's it going?" And he points—it's <laughs> a police car right on the other side of me, going pull over. <laughs> so it
0: was you
3: know,
2: a really I, hard year that way. I was trying oh, to yeah. do too much.
0: Trying I'm to just do thinking, thinking uh, you know, how easy it would be now. Younger people would have no idea what you're even talking about. But you—you you <laughs> oh. couldn't just sit down in Tacoma and uh write a bunch of material and then send it out as a file you had Correct. to drive it yeah into into seattle to yep. kink
2: absolutely well, i guess i could fax a uh, fax it but i don't think i ever faxed anything from bellman to to uh almost live i might have done it from home or kinko's or something like that No, you're right. So it was a crazy year. I didn't really know much about the show. And of course, that was the show's, I should say, how the show worked. And that was the show's last year as a uh, interview show. It was John's first year in the host chair. And as we know, that was a rough year. I didn't really, I had my own thing going on. So I didn't really notice all the stuff later when I read about how John hated that year, how horrible it was. I never really felt that because I... Like I said, had my own <laughs> I was just trying to worry about getting to work and back and all that, so
0: it was a, it became a sketch show later now you you were always the go to guy if we wanted to do anything with a stoner uh, <laughs> yes and but
2: in <laughs> real life, were you a stoner at uh, all jeez, I got to be careful here. I think I might incriminate myself, not really uh if I could you're say so, good really. that you so good at it you that' so good at it
0: Wally, what do you think huh? which quote describes your date wally
3: oh i don't remember anything about it let's just forget it and move on now well
2: i yeah i don't know why i always sort of had that sort of character i mean i did do i said that i didn't act and i did never um do any acting but my friends and i did enjoy kind of playing certain characters and roles and you know we knew a lot of kids look I was one of those kids in high school that moved in all circles. I had, I, I was, you know, without bragging, it's one of the best things I've had in life. And I've tried to explain it to my son. It's like, the jocks, the stoners, the smart kids, the kids that hated school. I never had an issue with any of those type of kids. So I was able to move through those sort of circles and, you know, I got to know all kinds of different kids and I grew up in, you know, that sort of dazed and confused. That movie mm-hmm. sort of was my high school. I mean, when that, when the opening to that movie, the first time I saw it, I was on the floor. I was like, that's such and such is car that he used to drive he used to ride to school in a Bonneville, a friend picked me up in a tricked out Bonneville so that's a big you know, that's
0: a big car
2: yeah. oh yeah but it was something special you know yeah. so you I, could put
0: like three or four bodies in the trunk yeah the
2: so anyway it, I, I did have that sort of thing, and then I spent a fair bit of time around uh, kids at Stanford that were, <laughs> shall we say, you know, a different era when it was more about, you know, you could actually literally just be in your. Uh, uh, and it's changed now again because marijuana has been legalized, obviously. But there was that long period where it was, you know, the, the Reagan era where it was absolutely, you mm-hmm. know, the war on drugs. Prior to that, it was much more. Uh, Available, so I was around a lot of it at Stanford, as you could imagine, and then spent a fair bit of time. I always had Oregon season tickets to football games, so I spent a lot of time in Eugene as well and some people down there. That's where I kind of came up with that sort of really you know uh, oh, tie dyed stoned sort of character
0: yes, oh my God, it was so good
2: so did I... I avoid that question like a politician?
0: No, I think you did uh, you handled it yes very much <laughs> like. i would I would like you to come to back to America run for office right now and uh, and I will run your campaign for you we interrupt this program to bring you exclusive live coverage of the state of Bellingham address here now is the mayor
1: of
3: Bellingham Keith. Wow. okay um, like the state of Bellingham right now is pretty cool I mean The vibes are are just flowing great, and everybody's really into this spiritual groove. But a couple things have messed up the uh, karma a little. Uh, Some of you downtown are starting to buy into that whole career suit and tie trip. Man, that is uncool, man. We're still having problems, too, with these big orange birds that fly down late at night and tell us to wear our underwear on our heads. But things are starting to look up. I mean, I think we're going to be in for a good spring, because Bob made it back from Mexico. (laughs) Way to go, Bob. Count me in, dude. Also, I told you guys years ago that if we waited long enough, the 60s would come back for us. So take it easy. Don't get too stressed out. And if anybody's got a copy of that dead show at Red Rocks in 89, uh, give me a call. I'd like to get that from you. Thanks.
0: The the teacher part of you is resonant in a lot of things that you did on almost live one was a little um, i guess it'd be an interstitial feature
2: ah uh, yes yes. called
0: urban jungle do i yep. have that
2: name right yeah, yeah urban wildlife urban wildlife thank you which is that now i look at that that was pretty far ahead of its time actually it really what is
0: brilliant <laughs> like here's one everybody would recognize the current affairs chameleon well i think the mariners are gonna have a great year this year oh yeah i think they're gonna do really well The Mariners are overrated. They're going to have another terrible year. Oh, the Mariners
2: suck. And you came up with that, right? I did, yeah. And John, and I think John gave me a a number. I came up with the idea, two or three. And then I think John and even Tracy came up with some of the uh, 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 new ones that we used. But, yeah, that. And then the word game one was the other one, Pat. I
0: love the word game. Probably
2: my favorite thing. That was a teacher.
0: That was a teacher thing. Yeah, and
2: I was sitting around. And you know where that came from? That came from my love of tennis as a kid i loved watching international tennis i always would get up for wimbledon and and love that i played tennis and um i would always see these names like christo van Rensburg, you know and all these sort of quirky names and i thought you know these are really interesting and somehow i put that together with like you know vasco de gamma i was like what if one was a tennis player and one was a um you know his, so that was the first one i did historical figure or tennis pro
3: and
0: boleyn Historical figure.
3: Christo van Rensburg. Tennis pro. Klaus Barbie.
0: Historical figure.
3: Ender's Jared.
0: I wrote a couple of them down here: rap star or type of gum.
2: Oh yeah, that's right. X-rated
0: Easy. performer or tasty cookie. <laughs> fairy tale character or American fascist.
2: Yeah, well, that there's it's one. This is isn't
3: it? Yeah. This is brilliant. It's really and the other good. one
2: was uh, something about uh, country capital or, or exotic dish or uh, anyway, it was like baba ganoush and Ghana yeah. or Accra or something.
0: It yeah. was so good. It was so. It's so intelligent and really fun, and, and
2: I, well, I love how Bill would build those interstitials in because it was a great um for people who uh, interstitials are kind of little thing that fits in between other parts of the show. So coming back from break to have that little, um what would you call it, like a sorbet, you know, to kind of cleanse yeah. the palate between exactly here's the commercial. Yeah. Here's the show. We had those little things there that they worked really, really well.
3: European coin. Or nonsensical gibberish. Leck. Mep. Forint Logal.
0: One of your enduring and frequent characters was a guy named Tex Rainier. <laughs> uh who was the survivalist, which I think is, is still really works well today, maybe even better. Jeez, you God, were in an underground bunker in Grants Pass, Oregon. The Survivalist is brought to you by the Church of the Triumphant Universal Order, serving the eccentric and well-armed for more than 15 years. And by Killing Knives Magazine. Killing Knives, for the connoisseur of big, sharp knives
2: for killing... Tell us about that one. I think I moved it around the bunker a little bit. Yeah, no, I, I, I think, I can't remember. I think John had like so many things. John's kind of the kernel, the the nugget there of the idea. Yep. And he said something about a, you know, these crazy survivalists or something. And I think I went away and sort of pitched wrote up the idea. And then he and I sort of, you know, cobbled it together. And then Bob added a few jokes, obviously, as he did. And, it just kind of went from there. The thing I loved about it was he was so serious about stuff, and then he would right. drop into something like, you know, biggest threat to freedom, you know, putting a different color icing on a Twinkie or something. You know, it was just like something. He'd be outraged about all these serious issues and then something utterly bizarre. Um, yeah,
0: he's just, he's complete conspiracist and... Uh, yes. But utterly devoted and convinced of his rightness.
2: Hey, welcome to another episode of the show. What's that? Anybody hear that? Well, hopefully there's still enough of you alive out there to watch me. Now, as you know, it's been 10 years since I left the wife and kids in a double-wide trailer in St. George, Utah, and headed down here to live in this highly secretive and extremely protective bunker that I now call home. And why did I do it? Because when nuclear war hits, and it will hit, and the rest of the world is a mass of utter destruction, I'll still be alive down here. I'll be a survivor,
3: and I'll have lots of SpaghettiOs,
2: Cheese Whiz, and Spam,
3: and enough weapons to keep out the losers who want to steal them from me. Anyway, a few days ago, I made my monthly trip into town to buy supplies
2: and get a Happy Meal, and I saw a newspaper talking about how the U.S. and Russia are going to destroy their nuclear weapons. So does that mean the world is now a safe place to live in, free from any sort of menacing threat? Ha!
3: Hell no! There are still plenty of other threats to our freedom. In fact, let's take a look at this week's top five threats to freedom. Number five, France. Number four, Jane Fonda and Ted Turner. Number three,
2: Henry down at the hardware store. Number two, lettuce. And the number one threat to our freedom this week, those bastards at the Department of Motor Vehicles. Absolutely, And then the other thing that I always brought in, too, was kind of like a little bit of me. Like, he was always watching, like, you know, Mountain West basketball and, like, making some <laughs> reference to, you know, Utah State beating Weber State or something like that. Or,
3: uh-huh, or Chris,
2: yeah. remember Chris Gobrick? He used to coach the Washington Yes,
3: student. yeah. I used
2: to write her in because I was always, always like, he had a crush on Chris Gobrick, which I just thought was <laughs> the funniest thing in the world. I don't know if anybody else ever got that. but She might
0: I, stand about a foot
2: taller than you. Huh? <laughs> Probably. You Sports Illustrated swimsuit. Issue. yeah yeah well let me tell you if you like your women soft and smooth and feminine this is great but if you're a real survivalist type who likes his women feisty and self-reliant i'll take chris gobrek in a pair of fatigues with an m16 in my foxhole any day i always try to work in that's the other thing i always love to do pat was always try to work in like if we're <laughs> fake credits and stuff i'd always start in the name of somebody like a celebrity that i really liked or something oh you, i love it i will I tell you if you look through a lot of my old pieces, you will find Helena Bonham Carter's name in about five of them.
3: Oh, Because yeah. I
2: loved her at the time. I was yeah. a huge fan of her work. Still am yeah, to this day, by the
0: yeah, way. Yeah, no kidding.
2: Put the boys in the cellar. I
0: want to have a conversation with this one. Go to go. Uh, Ed, you did a couple other bits. I mean, you did tons of stuff, of course. But two that I like a lot uh, was the... the crappy old car show
2: (laughs) that was yeah so those car show ads where they just you know coming to the kingdom you know the this that and i just thought what if we did a really with really shitty cars and i can't remember (laughs) i can't remember who the cameraman was if it was ralph or Mike, Mike
0: Boydston, maybe?
2: I don't think it was Mike. I think it was Ralph or maybe even Daryl Suto. Daryl Suto, yeah. Yeah, and we just went out, and literally every crappy car on the street, we just shot a photo of it. <laughs> 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 we found so many of them. That's the I, think, you, I think
0: I saw my car in that <laughs> Coming to the
2: kingdom
0: for two nights only it's the crappy old car show you'll see hundreds of amazingly ugly vehicles like the pinto the vega the horizon and the chevette take a look at the incredible sky blue pacer and the one-of-a-kind tomato red plymouth Jam. on saturday check out wally nicholson's awesome dodge saburo with its rusting side panel fuzzy dice tattered landau roof and crago eight track stereo sunday meet mishmit beer and get a free copy of her poster if it's crappy you'll see it Valiant, Dark,
2: Maverick, Zephyr, the crappy old car show in the kingdom. Just a fun, yeah. And I love doing those little things. A lot of work. You know, the return on investment, not necessarily great because it's a 30-second piece, but just love those little things like that
0: you did another one uh, i'll let you tell everybody about it it's called we know phones and yeah and, well a th- little controversial maybe
2: it's it crazy pat this one uh, there were those u.s west ads where they years ago where they basically took like a florist and they would explain things and say like this is a cymbidium da 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 and then something that only a florist would know and they would then they would say well how can you get a full-time phone line a for a part-time price. I don't know. Yeah, you know flowers. We know phones. So I did this thing, and I just still cannot believe it aired as I watch it now. It was obviously a different <laughs> time. It was like we know drugs was basically what it was, and myself and Nancy Guppy in a drug den, like with these explicit sort of drug paraphernalia, just... It's probably my best piece of acting. I don't know what that says about me, Pat, but um, I took that stoner thing to the next level. Um, And uh, Nancy's tremendous. Um, But it's one of those things I look at now, and I honestly cannot believe that it aired on network television. It's just so full on. It's crazy. What is chasing the dragon? That's when you smoke heroin instead of shooting it directly into your bloodstream. (laughs) What's a speedball? It's a mixture of heroin and cocaine.
1: How can you get a full-time phone line at a part-time price? I don't know. You can't be an expert at everything. With U.S. Western's standby line, you only pay for the time you use, plus a small monthly fee. So it's the perfect additional line for faxes, credit cards, or those busy times when you need another phone line. Hey, you know drugs.
3: We sure do. <laughs> and
1: We Know Phones, the small business group at U.S. Western, making the most of your
0: time. I got on a website or somewhere and uh, and saw that you were, have been in a couple of movies, I, IMBD, I think. One called Sweet Revenge and To the Manor Murdered.
2: No, that's a different Ed Wyatt, part, It is. Someone's oh. setting me up now i haven't been in any movies oh good well that no. that's a relief okay no, yeah to the
0: manor murdered starring ed wyatt
2: prepare to eat lead you bad guys
0: but not that ed wyatt
2: yeah no that would be there's a few ed Wyatts floating around i was lucky on twitter i grabbed ed wyatt as my handle back in 2009 so i beat out the guy at the washington post and there's an artist in new mexico so mm-hmm. this is perhaps another ed wyatt but perhaps the, yeah. the other piece pat i don't know if you can mention i'll just jump in and throw it in there now the other one that uh to this day i still love is frenetic pace because that's the one that yep, actually won an emmy that. I don't, you know, I, we all want, we were very lucky. We won a ton of Emmys, but uh, as a collective, uh, but as an individual that and I still to this day find it so funny. We were at that Emmy Awards. It's, a, you know, it's a big night and all these like people are, you know, you know, for his, you know, going under, you know, undercover and for seven months and exposing, you know, corruption in the aluminum industry, this guy wins an Emmy. And then <laughs> Ed Wyatt, one minute, 30 frenetic pace comedy bit. <laughs> <laughs> same emmy you know it's the same statue
0: it's time for frenetic pace
1: the show for people who don't have time to wait hi folks today we have a special entertainment edition of our show featuring the latest movies from hollywood theater from new york and london fashions from paris popular music the symphony the ballet and really bad performance art but first before we get to that let's check in with wall street dan stocks are up bonds are down options are up gold is down silver's up platinum is down susan how's the weather not that great now it's time for our movie reviews with cecil and egbert
0: i'm cecil he's egbert first of all back Memory Returns, thumbs up. Thumbs down. Lethal Weapon 3, thumbs down. Thumbs up. Cool World? Down. down. Yeah, down. See you next time.
1: Seattle supergroup Nirvana has just released a new single. Let's take a listen. <laughs> Sounds like a hit. Well, how about a phone call? Hi, what's your name? How old are you? Where are you calling from? And what's on your mind? Carol, 31,
0: Houston, Texas. What do you think of Dan
1: Quayle? I don't. Well, we'll be right back after this entertainment fact. Arsenio Hall says, yeah, a lot. Well, that's all the time we have. If you want a transcript of today's show, here's the address. See ya. <laughs>
0: Yeah. I remember one year at the Emmys and I, I was sitting out in the audience with you and I had a thing in there. I can't remember what piece it was. It was an almost live thing or uh, maybe a, some commercial I'd produced or whatever, but I was so certain I was going to win. Cause I just, I said, this thing is killer. There's no, nobody can touch this. I'm going to win this. And, and so I can hear the guy from the stage go, And the winner of the Emmy for this is, and I don't even know what name he said. I immediately leapt to my feet and started walking forward, and it was not me. It was somebody else. And so I dropped to the floor, and I crawled back to my seat, utterly humiliated. And everybody around thought, oh, Cashman's just doing a
3: bit. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) That's lucky.
0: That was lucky, yeah. It's lucky being known as a buffoon they can save you sometimes
2: <laughs> that's right i do remember uh, one emmy was it one an emmy there was an emmy i still remember i think you and your your wife were throwing food around Did, was that does that that some reason i think that rings oh up. no that, that couldn't be oh, us okay no. all right okay
0: great. You're, you're thinking of someone else you can enter i think it might have been gene enerson <laughs> yes thinking, it you know.
2: was yeah yeah. Jean, yeah it was she was always a little out of control she
0: really was fellow
2: yeah. stanford grad by the way that's right
0: that's right yeah She's so on the, was, uh, on the board uh, at Stanford, I think.
2: Yeah. She, and Lori, uh, uh, Matsukawa. She, Lori, yeah. I think she was, she Stanford grad too. I think so. Uh,
0: I know I wasn't. So <laughs> I did play football at Phoenix university until I got hurt, <laughs> but you really were a Cardinal.
2: Well, I was the least, uh, noble of that, that trio. That's for sure.
0: Eddie, it's been such a delight talking with you. Um, uh, I hope you'll come back, uh, to the states again?
2: Yeah, well, yeah, well, we will, we will see. I mean, uh, at the moment, I'm pretty lucky here.
0: Before we go, I, I wanted to ask yeah. you just about you are just a uh, out of control sports fanatic. You, you've always <laughs> loved sports. Yes. And so when you went to Australia, you are are like the definitive and go to guy for all things sports in that in that country. It, well, for I'm Amer- not exaggerating,
2: for American sport. Yeah. Uh, Pat, And I think early on, certainly from 2000 to about 2010, I definitely was. I mean, I hosted the Super Bowl live on Australian television and I did a lot of radio and things like that. But this country is such a sophisticated, sports loving country that, you know, I'm kind of not needed now, which is great. I kind of feel like I've passed on the, the knowledge that I've. Passed on. If you're
0: just joining us, Ed Wyatt has passed on. <laughs> so sorry.
2: Um, but yeah, there was a period there where it was really, you know, I was kind of the guy that would explain how American sports work uh, here in Australia, which is great. And mm. I will say, when I came over here, Pat, I made a conscious effort that I was not going to do comedy. Because I was just starting out to do sports when I moved to L.A. I did a couple years there of sports, a little bit of comedy. So when I moved here, I thought, you know what, I'm just going to dedicate myself to sports. And it's only been in the last five years that I've started getting back into comedy and writing through this uh, company. I work for Sportsbet, which is a betting company, legal betting. But a lot of what the premise is is uh, sort of comic the um, uh, commentary on on modern sport, so I've been able to get back into it that way.
0: Well, I found a bit of you doing that, Ed, online. I have no idea what you're talking about, but here is a snippet of it right here.
2: Well, the uh, it's the Belarusian Premier League is essentially the only major, if you call it major, uh, top-flight league still going in the world. Sixteen teams, so eight games a week. They're into week three, um, and. Tonight, overnight, there are two games: 1 a.m. and 3 a.m. So that's what I've looked at, rather than wait for games nice. later. I, I was going to pick one in 2021, but I thought we'll leave that to Joel. Um, <laughs> two games,
3: <laughs>
2: two games tonight. Uh, the 1 a.m. game: Belshina bobrusk against Gorodea. Now, Belshina is a big tire company in uh, uh, Belarus, they sponsor that team. And I have been told that there is a buy three, get one free offer if you're in Minsk and you need tires. So get on that. Well, the other
0: three guys on your panel seem to know what you're talking about. So that's all that matters.
2: Yeah, this is a great place to be for sports, Pat. Not so much at the moment, but once it gets going again, I think November, December, January, gonna be so much sports, it's gonna be ridiculous. So why did you
0: leave Almost Live? How did that happen and where did you go?
2: Well, you knew, Pat, you you just let's be honest you drove me out we needed we need to come clean on this podcast oh, right boy. here you were tired oh, of my boy. act and, I'm
0: gonna edit you know. this part out
2: so. <laughs> um it's a it, it's a strange one I I was having a little bit of I was from the Portland area and I really loved there and I wanted to try and at some point end up living in Portland so that was always in the back of my mind and not like I didn't like Seattle but I always had seen myself at some point living in Portland as an adult, you know, full-time, not with my parents. Um, And I was kind of burning out a little bit. I felt like I was kind of writing the same gags over and over again. Um, And then just out of coincidence, a guy who worked for Evening Magazine in uh, Seattle was walking through the cafeteria and I heard someone say, hey, good luck with the new job. And I said, what's that? What's the job? He said, oh, I'm going to be the producer of Good Evening down in Portland. And I knew the show had been on for 100 years in Portland. And I said, oh, who's still hosting that? And he said, because it was Paul Linman for a long time. Remember that guy. Yeah, Yeah. he was around forever. And um, a woman named Teresa Richardson, he said, oh, Teresa's still the host, but we're looking for a male host. And I said, aha, give me a call, like just sort of a joke. And then a little bit later, Tim came back to me and said, Hey, were you joking about being a host? And I said, uh, <laughs> I think I was, but, and so put some wheels into motion and I flew down for the day and did a, um, a screen test. And they sort of said, you know, we think you'd be great for taking the show in a different direction. We don't want it to be this dodgy sort of old folks show. We want to kind of jazz it up a little bit. And, hmm. um, they made me an offer. And to be honest with you, Pat, the offer was close to twice what I was making it almost live.
0: So that would have been like 50 bucks a week.
2: Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. 15, 20 bucks an hour. Yeah. So, you know, I've always said this, whenever someone doubles your salary, whether it's in the NBA or wherever, you've got to look at it. And it was my hometown and, I tried to sort of negotiate a deal where I could still do some almost live stuff and come up on the weekends, which I did for a while. But then it just became very, very hard to do, as you can imagine, finishing a full week of work on Friday. Well, now I got to drive to Seattle to be in a sketch, you know, very difficult. So that's kind of what happened. Discover the secret of the ancients,
1: or at least figure out what is sexy. Watch Good Evening's Oh So Sexy tonight at 730.
2: We never really turned the show around. We did pretty well. I think the demographics changed a lot, but the total number didn't change. So after a year and a half, they basically called us in and said, we're going to cancel the show. And that's when I had that big decision to make, Pat. And it was very hard because I was in that weird spot of people. Enough people knew me as almost live. So I couldn't get a generic gig, but not enough people knew me as like some star. I wasn't a big star that I could, get the ed wyatt show so i was in a really <laughs> odd spot and i knew i had to go to either la or new york if i wanted to do some more um tv type stuff i was never a fan of new york i always liked los angeles so went down there started writing for some pilots did, got some work on tv shows and then ended up at the fox sports world network which then led me here to australia
0: yeah i know where, wherever you are whatever you do you're gonna kill it ed Thanks Thank for being you. with
2: No worries, Pat. Thanks. Okay. really, really enjoyed being it, and say hi to everybody back there.
0: I will, if they'll speak to me.
2: <laughs> Thanks. All right, See buddy. You See you, Bye Pat. Bye-bye. Bye. The Almost Live
1: Still Alive podcast, produced and edited by Morris Patrick Cashman. Technical director is Dave Tavers. Special gratitude to the legendary Kenneth George Buford McCaw. Almost Live's Chief Archivist. And thanks also to King TV Seattle. This program was made possible in part by the 12th century nun and mystic Hildegard von Bingen, inventor of spoken language. And by Emil Berliner, creator of the microphone. And I'm your announcer, that kid from
3: Sluggy, Chris Cashman.